paying particular attention this night is uh, Philippians 4, the verses 4 through 9. Uh, we won't read those, texts, those verses again now, but you will be helped by having your Bible open to those words uh, if you don't already have them memorized. It's one of the uh, uh, well-known passages and certainly a very beautiful passage of Scripture. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I trust you've uh, observed the uh, ingenious uh, pun that was played in the sermon, uh, in the title of the sermon. Uh, and there's a story behind that. It, it was not just a, a shameless moment of opportunism, given that the year is 2020. Uh, there was a story uh, that led to that, and it went like this. Uh, whenever I work on a New Year's Eve sermon, I find them one of the difficult uh, sermons to write. Uh, that require a particular measure of prayer uh, in order to, to write. Now, of course, every sermon requires uh, a measure of prayer. If your minister's not praying as he's working, uh, he, he should be. Uh, so that's necessary for every sermon, but particularly for New Year's, because it takes time in prayer and reflection to look back on the year behind, to ask oneself, well, what blessings has God given in the, in the year behind? Uh, what struggles were there? What areas perhaps uh, were there that need correction uh, or growth in the year ahead? Uh, it takes time to both reflect on the past year and to also prepare for the coming year. Uh, I spend time in prayer asking, what, what sorts of things would God have me resolve to change or to improve uh, or to grow in this year? Uh, And and I not only ask that of myself, I ask it of us as a church as well. I spend time praying about that. Uh, It's an important question. Uh, What reasons are there for us as a church to give thanks to God? Not just for material blessings, of course, but especially for spiritual blessings, for faith, hope, love. Certainly those things exist in our midst, and that's, that's a cause for giving thanks. Uh, Looking back on the year behind us, what areas are there for growth, uh, for correction for us as a congregation? Uh, What would God have us learn or resolve to do in the coming year? So that takes time and prayer. Uh, And as I prayed about that, my my thoughts gravitated at first to the biblical call to wisdom. Uh, The call to wisdom is such a pressing command In Scripture, you heard that in Proverbs 4, learn wisdom, get wisdom. And would that not be a good resolution for the year ahead? You think again, Proverbs 4, verse 7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. If you don't prioritize it, you won't get it. Uh, If you make it your priority, it will reap you a thousand other rewards. That's the point of Proverbs 4. Uh, That should be an urgent priority for us every year, uh, but particularly in the coming year, as we reflect on what would God have us learn or grow in, surely wisdom would be on that list. Uh, And that's not an Old Testament call uh, exclusively either. It's also there in the New Testament. We heard it in our series in Colossians, in the very first uh, sermon uh, or first uh, chapter of that letter. Uh, Paul describes his prayer for the Colossian church As follows, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit 
in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so I trust you would agree that that would be a worthy thing for us to devote ourselves to in the coming year. And I hope you would consider that as part of God's will for you personally, individually in the coming year. But as I reflected on that more, I also thought about joy, the biblical call to joy, uh, which is at least as frequent and at least as pressing as the call to wisdom. And I asked myself, why is that the case? Why is it that God so highly values our joy, that He calls us to joy as often and as urgently as He calls us to wisdom? And wisdom, I understand. Joy, it's harder to understand why God values that. Now, if you look carefully at the Scriptures, at those places where God calls us to joy, you'll quickly recognize it's not just any joy that God calls us to. It's not just that God wants us to be happy in general. It's more specific than that. It is always joy in the Lord. Joy in the Lord. Again, Old Testament, New Testament, same thing. Uh, Deuteronomy 12, verse 7, There you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your households, in all you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. Uh, Psalm 5, verse 11, Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. Uh, Psalm 32, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. Uh, That's Old Testament. Uh, New Testament, you heard it in the text we just read. Philippians 4, verse 9. uh, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Uh, So do you hear that urgent call to joy? Uh, and, And as I mentioned, this is not just a happiness for happiness's sake, but rather a joy in the Lord that is a joy that exalts the Lord and gives Him praise. Now, when the Scriptures say rejoice in the Lord, it's a call to see the mercy and the grace and the power and the wisdom and the goodness of God and to let that bring joy to your soul. And so as I thought about that call to joy, I realized that joy and wisdom are actually very closely related things in Scripture. Uh, The biblical call to wisdom and the biblical call to joy are in many ways one and the same call. Because the joy to which God calls us is not just a positivity, a commitment to being happy, but it is rather a joy that sees A joy that understands the world as it really is and sees God as sovereign and good over the world. That's what gives us joy. That's the reason we rejoice. So if you look in Scripture, you'll discover that wisdom, true wisdom that is seeing things as they really are, knowing how to live in light of them, uh, true wisdom always leads to joy. If you want to ask, how do you live In light of wisdom, joy is how. That's the answer. That's how you live. So that's the story behind the title of this sermon, Joy with 2020 Vision. Joy that sees. Uh, True joy, the joy to which God calls us, is a seeing joy. A joy that has clarity. A joy that is wise. And, And so as I thought about that, I came to the conviction that 
That would be a most worthy priority for all of us to focus on in the coming year. I think of how often you hear that call to joy uh, in the Lord in the Scriptures. Uh, and, and so our goal for this evening is just to briefly think about what is it that joy sees? Uh, if God calls us to a joy that sees, what is it that that joy sees? Uh, and for that, we'll be working through Philippians 4, uh, the verses 4 through 9. Now, if you were to read the whole letter as we did a few years ago, the whole letter to the Philippians, uh, you would hear that theme of joy just resounding out of that letter from the very beginning to the end. Uh, the Philippian church, it was a poor church. It was a persecuted church. Uh, but it was also a very faithful and committed church. It was a church that played a large role in, in sustaining the Apostle Paul's missionary work. Uh, and so this letter to, that he writes to them from prison just resounds with this theme of joy, calling them again and again. You see at chapter 3, verse 1, uh, a call to joy in the Lord. Uh, and that comes back then again in chapter 4 as he wraps up the letter. Uh, he concludes it with this paragraph that begins, Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Uh, and in that paragraph, he gives several things that joy sees. Uh, number one, joy, Christian joy, sees with clarity the truth of the gospel of Christ. Uh, number two, it sees the nearness and the sovereignty of God. And number three, it sees the beauty of God's will. Now, all three of those things you see in this paragraph, when you see those, those are reason for great, great joy. Uh, so in the first place, Christian joy sees the truth of the gospel. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul says in uh, verse 1, Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, so there it is again, that phrase, in the Lord. You're not rejoicing for just any old reason. You're rejoicing because the Lord is good. And Paul's writing that to Christians. And how do they know that the Lord is good? Because of the gospel that he's just finished uh, explaining to them. Uh, as you look at the gospel and all that Christ has done for us, is that not cause for joy? And so I thought, oh, what is it about the gospel? That, that gives us reason for rejoicing. I'm sure things come to your mind uh, that, that come to mind as well. Uh, and you see several in, in this particular uh, letter. Uh, in the gospel, you see the forgiveness of your sins. In the gospel, you see how ill-deserving you are, how unworthy you are, of God's grace. Whatever else your circumstances might be, uh, that fact remains. I am unworthy of God's grace. I am a sinner that was destined for hell, and I'm a sinner forgiven by the blood of Christ. That and that alone is cause for eternal joy. Uh, I who deserve judgment and hell for the unbelief and rebellion in my heart, and not only restored to God and under God's favor, uh, but even adopted as a child of God. That's a cause for joy. It's what the, the hymn says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, so praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Is that not a reason for joy? 
A Christian joy then sees that with clarity on a day-by-day basis. It sees every day, I know how unworthy I am. I know how much I've been forgiven. I know how great God's grace is to me. A Christian joy looks on, on that truth then and rejoices. Uh, in the gospel as well, you see God's power to heal. Uh, You see that as well in in this letter to the Philippians. You see God working to heal broken and sinful people. Uh, God doesn't just save sinners from the wrath of hell. God renews them and heals them for for living in eternal life. Ephesians 2 verse 1, You who once were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, God made alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I've been made alive, and so have you, brothers and sisters. You've been made alive by the Spirit of God. Is that not a reason for joy? And lastly, just as we reflect on the gospel, in the gospel you see the hope of God's purposes for a broken, fallen, miserable, and sad world. As I look out at the violence and greed and hostility in this world, I see a world that Christ came to save, and that Christ is busy saving. I see all the opposition and hostility of Satan aimed against the church, and yet Christ victorious, and yet the church growing. There too, you think of Paul as a missionary, what joy that would have given him. And you think just this year, just in 2019, of the breathtaking work that has taken place in China, despite all of the worst adversity and hostility. A a pastor in a Reformed church just this week was sentenced to nine years in prison uh, for preaching the gospel. And yet his church is rejoicing. And not only rejoicing, but growing. Uh, Satan cannot stop his church. And that too gives me great joy. And so Christian joy is a joy that sees the truth of the gospel and rejoices in that truth. One of the outworkings of that joy, Paul describes in a very short sentence in verse 5. So he says, Rejoice in the Lord, let your reasonableness be known to all men. That word translated reasonableness is more commonly translated gentleness. And I would argue that's a better fit for this context Uh, And and this gentleness is an outworking or an extension of that Christian joy that sees. True Christian joy that's founded on the bedrock of the gospel expresses itself to the world in gentleness, in meekness, in a willingness to bear offenses. Uh, See, if your joy is just an outward facade, it's just something you put on uh, that, uh, to, to make the world think that you're happy. What happens when you are threatened or maligned or, or challenged, that facade disappears and, it, and very quickly an angry, spiteful uh, spirit comes out from underneath the surface. Uh, but the joy that sees, joy that sees the truth of the gospel with clarity responds in a totally different way, with gentleness, with peace, with a willingness to bear offenses. Isn't that what we're seeing already in our journey through First Peter, uh, how the gospel changes our response to suffering? It's okay to be maligned. It's okay to be misunderstood. In fact, Jesus said, uh, when you are maligned or persecuted, rejoice 
and give thanks uh, because you, are, you, you have been counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. Uh, so the, the world will know your true Christian joy by your gentleness expressed towards them. Now, the world will see your confidence in the gospel by your meekness towards the world. Uh, they will see uh, the grace of Christ uh, in you as the expression of your joy. As that's verses 4 and 5 then. Christian joy sees with clarity the truth of the gospel. Uh, secondly, you see this in verses 6 and 7. Joy also sees the presence and the power of God. Uh, the nearness and the sovereignty of God. Uh, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Christian joy sees that God is not only in control, but that even the sufferings we endure are given, him, are given us from Him. It recognizes my life is not under my control, but even better, under the control of my good and sovereign Father. Christian joy sees that with clarity. Uh, anxiety, at least anxiety of the sort that uh, consumes us and overwhelms us, that dominates uh, us, uh, arises from the belief that either God does not exist or is not in control or is not good. It arises from a world of confusion. Peace, the peace of God that surpasses understanding, arises from a clarity that sees God as the ruler, not only of the world, but also of my life. Romans 8, verse 28, He works all things for good, for those who are called according to His purpose, for those who love Him. A Christian joy then sees that uh, and recognizes it as true. And so it learns to rest in the knowledge of God's goodness and God's power. Now, that also means that when a joyful spirit, a gospel spirit, uh, endures sufferings and trials, it knows how to cast those anxieties on Him who cares for us, uh, who, who not only can, but will, as He's promised, work them for good. Uh, that clarity of vision, then, seeing things as they truly are, uh, produces that peace that surpasses all understanding, uh, a peace that's big enough to handle even the biggest anxieties. Uh, but now that does take vision. That does take clarity. Uh, and that clarity doesn't just come to you by itself. It comes to you as you immerse your mind in the Word of God. Uh, where do you see? You see from the light of God's Word. That's what the psalmist says, Thy Word is like a lamp unto my feet. Do you want to see with clarity? Then, then be in God's Word this year. Uh, for this uh, reason as well, one of my hopes for this year for us as a congregation, I want to spend a few weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, I found it to be a book that uh, really broadens one's horizons on, on the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty and goodness of God and how that produces a life of joy. Let's learn to see that with clarity. Uh, and lastly then, joy also sees the beauty of God's will. Now one might take a, a moment to process. Uh, Christian joy sees with clarity the beauty and goodness of God's will uh, expressed in His Word. 
uh, the goodness of God's righteousness. Uh, And what I mean by that is this. Christian joy does not only see what I've been saved from, it sees with clarity and rejoices at what I've been saved for. It sees a, a beautiful life, a good life, a righteous life, and says, I want that. I rejoice in that. Uh, Christian joy is the joy of having been brought from darkness to light. Uh, It's uh, the joy of having been brought from a love and indulgence in that which is unholy and dark and leads to death uh, to, to a new love and a new delight in that which is good and pure. Uh, So, joy beholds with clarity what is good in God's sight and rejoices at its goodness. Just as you might, if you're hiking, uh, go out and and see a a glorious mountain range uh, and you just stop and behold it and rejoice at it. Or as a husband uh, sees his bride and just stops and rejoices at her beauty, So a Christian looks at the beauty of God's purposes for us, the beauty of God's righteousness, and says, that is good. I want that. I delight in that. I desire that. And that's exactly what Paul calls us to do in verses 8 and 9. So he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, and Joy just says, amen, to that which is true. Whatever is honorable, and Joy says, yes, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, then think about these things. Now what Paul is commanding us to do is to behold that which is good with 2020 vision. To see it with clarity, to ponder it and meditate on it. And this is, this is wisdom, right? This is the Old Testament wisdom. See what is good and delight in it and pursue it with all your being. Uh, wisdom sees and discerns goodness and rejoices in that goodness. It says, I want that. It says, yes, may God uphold that. Uh, may God increase that uh, also in my life. That's what joy does. Uh, so Paul says, whatever is true well, then let this be a year uh, in which you see what is true, that you see it with a clarity you've never had before, uh, so that that truth might lead to your joy. Whatever is honorable, what God regards as worthy of honor, let's learn to discern that, to see it uh, with our own eyes, and learn to delight in it and pursue it. Whatever is just, Whatever is right in the sight of God, learn to recognize it, learn to pray for it, and learn to practice it. Whatever is pure, as God our Father is pure, pursue it with all your being because He is pure. He says whatever is lovely, that is, whatever is is beautiful or truly attractive, uh, see it and and cultivate the uh, taste buds to rejoice in what is truly beautiful. You only have to look out at this world uh, to see uh, very quickly. uh, You look out at what passes for art in our perverse culture and you see how ugliness is celebrated as beautiful and beauty is tossed into the gutter. But you, brothers and sisters, are the light, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. 
As Paul says in Colossians 4, Let your speech, therefore, be seasoned with salt, full of grace. See what is beautiful and good, and rejoice in it, and pursue it. Is that not a worthy resolution for this year? Whatever is commendable, commend it. If there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, he says, think about these things. It's a call to see with 2020 vision and a call to rejoice in what you see. And this call uh, to the renewing of our vision, then, is also a call to the renewing of our minds. You hear that in Romans 12, uh, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, the darkness, the obscurity, the fog of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Again, it's a call to see So, brothers and sisters, is this not a worthy resolution for us to learn more and more, to rejoice with a joy that sees what is good, uh, to see the truth of the gospel, to see the presence and the power of God, and to see the beauty of God's will? Let's make that our purpose in this year. Amen.